What's going on, folks? This is Daryl, your host of Narratives Over Wine and Whiskey podcast, the podcast where we discuss issues that impact the black and millennial communities all while having a good drink. Today, I am drinking Aralina Bodegas Verdejo. Um, it's a Spanish wine. The year is 2019. It's a, a pretty light wine. Um, I'm not exactly certain what type of wine it is, but I think it'll go pretty well. It tastes like a Pinot Grigio to me, but I think it will go, it'll pair pretty well with some chicken or some fish. I got it from Trader Joe's. It was like $5. ABV is 12%. So yeah, definitely. I, I had a couple sips of it already. Strongly recommend trying it out. Not too sweet. I'm not big on sweet wines, but it is light. Like I said, seafood, chicken, pasta. I think this would be a good pairing with it. Today, I would like to discuss money. And I know that we are not really supposed to talk about money. It's impolite, whatever. Money, politics, race, whatever those Western rules are. But I think that not talking about money presents a bigger problem than actually discussing it. Now, I'm not saying you should discuss money in order to brag, to put people down, to compare your life to the life of others. But I do believe that great things can be learned from having discussions about money and what it can do for your life. So as a young or as a child, I wasn't too aware of how to manage money properly. I wasn't talked to about managing money properly. It's just something that my family and a lot of black families do not discuss. And I don't know what white families do. I really haven't had those discussions with any of my white friends. But I do know that when it comes to black people, until the problem is obvious, it's just not discussed. Like we we decide to to push it under the rug and push it to the side. And actually, um, I've been taking a while to read this because though it's a short read, it's really heavy. Between the World and Me is a great book about being a black man and, and our experiences as black men. Um, and what what we want to pass on to our children. But in today's uh, in the, the reading I got through today, there was a portion about a family who was, here we go, family that was evicted. And I'll, I'll read this verbatim. I was trailing some, and mind you, uh, Brother Coates is a journalist, phenomenal writer. If you haven't read any of his work, check it out. But he's talking about an experience he had in Chicago. I was trailing some officers of the, sh the county sheriff as they made their rounds. That day, I saw a black man losing his home. I followed the sheriff's officers inside the house where a group of them were talking to the man's wife, who was also trying to tend to her two children. She had clearly not been warned that the sheriff would be coming, though something in her husband's demeanor told me he must have known. His wife's eyes registered all at once, shock at the circumstance, 
anger at the officers and anger at her husband. I'll go ahead and fast forward through real quickly. The man was humiliated, and I imagined that he had probably for some time carried in his head alone all that was threatening his family, but could not bring himself to admit it to himself or his wife. So he now changed all that energy into anger directed at the officers. So that was a brief excerpt from the book. But though it does not directly talk about money, it does talk about and bring up what poverty looks like, how it impacts a household. Um, That's a family of four people who at that time were unable to be certain of whether they would have somewhere to live that night or not. And that's that's traumatizing, especially for a child. As a young man right now at 32 years old, and sorry to be so transparent, but I have been in that situation as a young person, as a teenager um, and a young adult. And it's not comfortable. And it's hard to reconcile in your mind why your family now has nowhere um, to call their own. Why your family has to bounce from one place to another without the certainty of knowing, hey, this is home. So it's a very challenging place to be in, but it all stems from money. And it stems from a lack of knowledge of how to manipulate money to serve ourselves, serve our families, serve our communities. And instead, money happens to us instead of us allowing it to be a tool that we use to progress. My parents never discussed with me or actually my parents never gave me an allowance. I got money from time to time. I'd get a few dollars here and there. I'd choose to buy my lunch a la carte at school as opposed to spending the entire 250 so that I could, you know, scrounge away a couple nickels and and quarters here and there. But there was never a point in time where my parents said, we are going to give you $20 a week, but this is how we expect it to be managed. And if you don't manage it, don't ask us for more when you just want it um, frivolously. And understanding, having that understanding now allows me to better tailor what I'm able to do for my children in the future. And it's not about the amount because $20 when I was a child is not $20 right now. But had I been aware, okay, I'm getting $20 a week. I have to put out of that 22 into church on Sunday sacrificially, or I'm asked to put, and you know, as a parent, I don't believe that you should ever um, force your child to commit to philanthropy. I think that you should you should let them know that there is a responsibility to give to those who are less fortunate and do it in the way that they feel they feel led. But, you know, the philanthropic arm of things as a professional fundraiser to me is is and as well as a um a follower of Christ, you know, it, it is very impactful 
in my life and it feels good to give back. So yeah, tell your child, hey, give 10% of what you get. So if it's $20, you give that $2 to whatever you believe needs that money that is not self-serving. So that doesn't mean go give it to your little girlfriend because you know that $2 is going to get you a, a hug and a kiss later on, um, which is a whole nother topic. Um, but that's give it to someone who can never repay you again. And if they do, great. But don't give it with the expectation of getting paid back. I think that that's important. So you got 10 percent to to that. And then you say now you need to save X, Y and Z. And you show them how to do that. And then after that, you say, "Okay, now guess what you have? You have to pay your taxes and you teach them how taxes work, but you do it in a way that in the long run will benefit them. So you say your taxes are you giving back, you know, 15 percent of your money. So, you know what, bud? Sorry. I need that that uh what would that be? Three dollars? Yeah, right now. Go ahead. Give me uh give me three dollars of your money because it's going to your general welfare fund. Now, they've given to philanthropy, they've gone ahead and saved, they've paid their taxes. All right. So you've you've given away or you've already gone ahead and accounted for, what's that? Two, four, seven dollars right there. Seven dollars out of your 20 is gone. That's $13 a week. You're a kid. $13 every week. That's not too bad for spending money. If you really want to save towards something, that's nice. But when you don't have those conversations and you don't learn how money works and how to manage it, well, hmm, now now I'm 25 and I have my first $50,000 a year job and I don't understand savings and I don't understand philanthropy and I don't understand that, let's say I have a job that doesn't take out taxes on the front end. I don't understand putting that money to the side so that it can gain interest when I have to pay my taxes later on. These things are are critical to being able to grow financially. But if you don't have the, the conversations, you're on the you're on the losing end of the stick. And for a while, I was on that losing end as a young adult. For the longest time, because I didn't understand how money worked, how interest works, um, how investments work. I just thought, OK, I'm getting a check. I spend my check, I get another check, and I'm living paycheck to paycheck as so many Americans, black, white, brown, Asian, um, of of all backgrounds are living, be they the middle class, the upper class, um, or the, the impoverished class. There are so many Americans living paycheck to paycheck and relying on a system that obviously isn't working. That now we find ourselves in this place where it's not just the citizens, but also the businesses. We're overspending. We're overeating. We are consumers instead of producers. And when it's time to. To say, hey, what have you saved? Because the rainy day has come. We've all got our hands out for twelve hundred dollars and are hoping for another twelve hundred, which may or may not come. Nobody's fault. 
but it's everyone's responsibility. And being able to differentiate one from the other is critical, right? So it's not your fault that you weren't taught as a young person how to save. It's not your fault that the coronavirus hit at an inopportune time, which I don't know what an opportune time would be, but well, a more opportune time would be one with better leadership in the White House. But the coronavirus hit at a, at a very inopportune time, and it's not your fault. No one could have prevented that. Um, but it is your responsibility to, one, learn from this, and two, pass on the knowledge to the next generation. If you fail to do that, then it becomes your fault because it's your fault that the generation that comes after you or the generations that are going to come after us have not been educated in a way to know that things can, will, and always do change. So the next part of my short and uncertified financial literacy episode is that money is nothing but the ability to have options. And I say this because the other day I was thinking about how much I enjoy mowing the lawn every couple weeks. Um, right now we're actually seeding the front lawn and I can't mow it and it's driving me nuts. So I go out with the little um, weed whacker and try to get it as even and short as possible without um, adversely affecting the seeds. But I think about how much I enjoy it. And then I think about the fact that if I had money, I could pay somebody to do this for me. But would I? That's the question. And I might. Sometimes I might say, you know what? It's too hot in the middle of July. For this month, I want to pay somebody to mow my lawn for me. And having the funds to do that is great. It's a nice option to have. But being able to do it myself is also a nice option to have because for me, it's a peaceful time when I can go outside with my headphones and just be. Nobody to bother me. It's nothing but me, the land that I live on, and the lawnmower and my music or, or my podcasts or whatever I'm currently listen to, listening to at the time. But I have the option to do it or not. When you, when you ain't got the option, you ain't got the option. So when you don't have the money, you mowing your lawn whether you like to or not, whether it's 102 degrees outside or not, it's your responsibility and you have to do it. The more money you have, the less you have to do yourself. And that goes into time. I hate when people say you have the same 24 hours in a day that Oprah has or that Kobe Bryant had or that Jeff Bezos have. You're incorrect. Now, at a certain point in life, yes, you do have that same amount of time that they had. But as they continue to gain wealth and the gap between you and them financially widens. While yes, 24 hours is 24 hours. What I can afford to do with my 24 hours with money varies greatly from what I can afford to do with my 24 hours without money. If I am a single parent who is working a minimum wage job and doesn't own a car, guess what my 24 hours look like? My 24 hours may look like wake up, get the kids ready. 
get them to school or get them on the school bus. Take a city bus 30 minutes to the bus depot and then another 30 minutes to work. So that's an hour right there. Work for eight hours. Take the bus 30 minutes to go pick the kids up. And then another. Thir- oh, no, actually, let's say we've got to take the bus 30 minutes to the bus depot to take it 30 minutes to pick the kids up from their after school daycare to take it 30 minutes back to the bus depot to take it another 30 minutes back home. And then I have to spend 30 minutes preparing their food. Well, look at what just happened with with your transportation time, right? So your transportation time, an hour to and from work, or excuse me, an hour to work, and then two hours from work because you have to stop and pick the kids up. So that's three hours out of your day versus someone who can afford to have a car. Oh, well, that, that just turned that three hours into maybe a one hour commute both ways. Or the time it took you to cook your food versus having someone at home prepare it for you or being able to order out some nutritious food or take out some nutritious food from a restaurant because you're going to you're going to pay one way or another. Are you going to pay with your time? Are you going to pay with your money or are you going to pay with your health? And so then you bring home some non-nutritious food that's going to cost you on the back end. The person with money can choose to live like the person without money, but the person without money really can't choose to do the opposite. If I don't have money, I can't live like I have money. I can't do what Kobe Bryant did, rest his soul, and decide to get into a helicopter to avoid the traffic going to and from work so that I can spend more time with my children. I don't have that luxury. I don't have that option. Kobe could have, and for a while, did go through traffic day by day. And then he said, you know what? I'm tired of this. I'm sure that the person who hops on the bus for three hours a day is tired of that too, but they don't have the option. That's not an option for them at this point. So money money provides options to do more with the 24 hours in your day. Same 24 hours. I can't slow down or speed up time, but if I have more resources, I can do more with the time that I have. Last point, and I um, I go to this because I did say at the beginning, I'm a follower of Christ. Christ's life leaned on the teachings of the Bible. Excuse me. His life leaned on the teachings of the Hebrew religious texts. And people often misquote this Bible verse, but it's not money that is the root of all evil. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. And so I encourage you to know that you need money to survive. But placing money as your God or as your ultimate goal will never, ever make you whole. It will never make you complete. I just recently saw that Jeff Bezos is slated to or he's um on track to be the first trillionaire in the the history of the world based on, you know, current quantitative data. That's that's wild. Like that's amazing. He's going to be 
the richest man in the world by the likely by the end of this pandemic. And while that's all well and good, at a certain point, the the number of options that you need just aren't there. Like there there's there's a certain point where it's just to say you did it. And if that's your motivating factor, cool. But there's a difference between your motivating factor being the accomplishment of doing it and the greed of having it. So always know that at a certain point, there's nothing more that you can do with the money. There's no more time that you can buy. There is a cap on how much happiness or how many experiences those dollars can purchase. And and knowing that, know that there is time at which you have the responsibility to do more with the money than doing for yourself, to do much more with it, to truly give away a mass of the wealth that you have amassed. That's why I really admire LeBron James for the school that he was able to build in Akron. He put his money where his mouth was. And while he's still able to enjoy his life at a level that I can only imagine at this point in my life, I, I can say he's doing it the right way based on what I see. So, you know, everything that you do, do it within moderation. Do it while asking for and praying for wisdom and do it with a spirit of gratefulness and knowing that you didn't have to be there at that point in time to make your life as great as it is, because you could be the person who is angry at the police officer because you, you happened to get evicted for circumstances outside of your control. Like that could be any of us that has been some of us and know once you've gotten there, you can also turn it around and you can you can make the change that is necessary to change the lives of your family, your community and the people who you never will meet. But yeah, have those discussions about money. I really, really encourage you to teach your children about it. It doesn't matter if you're giving them five dollars a week. Teach them how to use money as a tool that can provide them with more options and not as something that they need to get just to survive. Thanks for tuning in today. I really appreciate you. If you would, please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, leave a review, um, leave a rating, go to narrowpodcast.com and check that out and follow on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Narrow Podcast. Thank you all, and I will talk to you all soon. Same time next week, same place. Peace.